Thank you for listening to the Austin Connection podcast. The Austin Connection is also a free newsletter and community on Substack. Check it out at austinconnection.substack.com. See you there. They were so romantic. You know, we escaped into them. We traded these books with each other. Uh, um, a friend would, would come over, oh, how many Mills and Boone or Barbara Cartland are you bringing over? And then we would, we would exchange. Um, this was a big part of my coming of age. Hmm. Um, never really stopping to think that, yeah. you know, the characters in those books are just, they don't look like us. Stephanie Shawnee-Cohen is an author and musicologist who has worked with the BBC, public radio, and written extensively about soul music, country music, Nigerian and African-American hip-hop. She also serves as the Dean of the College of Arts and Humanities at the University of Maryland. And she and I have created a podcast together, Cover Story with Stephanie Shanikan at the University of Missouri. Cover Story is all about life, history, love, identity, and music through our culture's favorite songs. And that is always really what Stephanie Shanikan's work is about. So in the course of our podcasting together, I was excited to find that not only is Dean Stephanie Shanikan a huge reader and watcher of Austin and romance, but also her first degrees, her bachelor's and master's degrees were in literature. So we talked about reading Jane Austen while growing up in Nigeria. Again, it's all about culture, identity, love, and the stories we tell. Dean Stephanie Shanikan, in this episode of The Austin Connection, talks with us about how the images of Jane Austen's stories were enjoyable for her growing up, but were not something she could consider her own. It was something she says she had to come to terms with. Enjoy this conversation with writer, reader, and musicologist, Dean Stephanie Shanikan. Let me just start with a first question that is a great first question for the Austin Connection. How did you first discover Jane Austen? Do you remember where you were and when you first read a Jane Austen novel? I would say that I probably read Pride and Prejudice uh, when I was an undergraduate student mm -hmm. um, at the University of Jos in Nigeria. Um, up to that point, we'd done a lot with um, my, my high school in Nigeria. Of course, because we are a British colony, we a former British colony, I should say. Um, Nigeria got its independence in 1960, but the uh, the aftermath of of colonialism means that we continued to have English as the official language, and our educational um, institutions were built on British on on the British system. Which means that when I was in high school, um, all of our um, most of our curriculum was British based. So a lot of Shakespeare, I remember re reading um, Shakespeare, um, The Mayor of Casterbridge, Maul Flanders, um, those, those classics of, of British literature, Heart of Darkness, all of that. And then when I got to university, I probably read Pride and Prejudice there. Um, my undergrad is English literature. Um, and, um, and then after my first year or two, um, when, I, when we were allowed to then take electives, I veered completely off and went to black literature. I wanted to read more Nigerian literature. I wanted to read more African writers and al also African-American and Caribbean writers. So I, I 
probably put Jane Austen in the same boat as Shakespeare and all of them. Great literature, great, um, great stories. But in my formative years, I really wanted to um, dislodge those um, those images and stories that were not mine. Absolutely. Um, and and move more towards um, African literature and African American and and Caribbean literature. So I went through a love hate relationship with Jane Austen. I but I've I've since um, come to terms with it. Um, have a real good grounding in black literature um, and can appreciate um, certain aspects of British literature as well. Well, everything you bring up, (laughs) Stephanie, (laughs) already is so important that I was hoping we'd get to it. Uh, But I'm not surprised that you went there right away. Um, Of course, a colonial education is something that was uh, if, tell me if I'm mischaracterizing it, but from my point of view and from those of us who look at these things mm-hmm. and look at post-colonialism and, and literature in a new light, mm-hmm. which I think is super important. But let me first, go, let's get there, but let's first go back to just those early days. I mean, that is a um, an education, colonialist education that is you know, ha- includes a lot of genius, but is also being inflicted mm-hmm. on um, students, young students, right. to make them think differently, and to, in some ways, there's a ra- there has been erasure involved mm-hmm. in that. Yeah, can you t- just talk a little bit about what it, about your reading Pride and Prejudice in that situation, and then revisiting mm-hmm. maybe Jane mm-hmm. Austen later? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really interesting to look back. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it's causing me to sort of look back and see where my little moments of awakening were. And mm. um, and I would say so. We I went through when I was maybe late teens, mid to late teens. Uh, um, all of us young girls, young women um, in Nigeria. So many of us would read these romance novels yeah. called Mills and Boone. Um, right. They were published by this publisher called Mills and Boone. So we just called these books Mills and Boone. And they yes. were all, and then there was another author called Barbara Cartland. Oh, yes. Yeah. But they, those are like British traditions for sure. I mm-hmm. mean, yes. I, <laughs> we, we devoured those, those books. Strong cultural forces. Yes, yes, for sure. Devoured them. I mean, mm. just thought they were, they were so, um, they were so romantic. You know, we escaped into them. We traded these books with each other. Uh, um, a friend would, would come over. Oh, how many Mills and Boone or Barbara Cartland are you bringing over? And then we would we would exchange. Um, this was a big part of my coming of age. Mm. Um, never really stopping to think that, yeah. you know, the characters in those books are just they don't look like us. You know, like the 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 idea that when they described the man as tall, dark, and and handsome, um, they weren't. The writers never thought that that dark was black people. You know, it was. Mm-hmm dark-haired and, you know, and so on. And so the fact that we consumed all of this, you know, without question yeah. is something that I, I look back on now and I'm, I'm really, I'm rethinking and um, really mourning the, the, um, the lost awareness or the lack of awareness or the erasure mm-hmm. of, of who we were and what, value was put on us as human beings. We never questioned that. No one um, helped us think through that. Um, so I would say that 
Jane Austen and Shakespeare and William Wordsworth were seen as elevated forms of Mills and Boone, right? So yeah. so there's romance in Pride and Prejudice, of, of course, and I mention that a lot because that's the one I like the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that description holds. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're all elevated Mills and Boone. Yeah, yeah. they are. They are. <laughs> they're just long. They're longer, and <laughs> Jane Austen takes her time with it, where, whereas with <laughs> Mills and Boone, girl meets boy, boy... Um, <laughs> Girl gets mad at boy, boy figures it out, and then they're done. Very um, simple, and um, and isn't that what what Darcy and <laughs> and um, Elizabeth? Absolutely, right? yes. Darcy and Elizabeth, and stripped down to just what it is, right? You know, what we in in some ways stripped down to just what we all love. Stripped right. down to the sugar, you know, <laughs> the like sugar, without exactly without exactly. the rest of the meal, <laughs> exactly. And so, um, so while I met Jane Austen in university um, in in an elevated way because that was literature. That wasn't mm. pop fiction. That was literature, right? That was those are the classics. I took them very seriously. Um, I certainly enjoyed her more than I did Shakespeare for you know, for whatever reason. But the but the question remains, why was that given to us as a classic, whereas our black literature was given to us as electives? Um, mm-hmm. That that stays with me as a as a big question. I know we'll we'll get to Jane Austen and what what I love about about her stories and and what and, and what she did. But the bigger question for me is the place of Jane Austen over um, authors like Buchi Mecheta and, and, and other art, um, Chinua Achebe and mm-hmm. Wale Shoinka, you know, yeah. why is Jane Austen higher on the totem pole than, than those authors? And I think that is a question that people in that, you know, lit- in the literature world and in the Jane Austen world I do see that que- that question coming up. Mm-hmm. I do see that being explored. Mm-hmm. Do you, but do you do you feel like it's in, from what you've seen? Do you feel like it's being explored, explored adequately? And um, what would you want people to keep in mind as someone who grew up in Nigeria reading Jane Austen and having mm-hmm. this, as you just said beautifully, just presented to you as the canon, mm-hmm. as the important mm-hmm. with a capital I, mm-hmm. you know, work with a capital W, and then the, uh, the you know, um, Achebe mm-hmm. and others as electives. Mm-hmm. What, what would you hope that those conversations include? I think people are only moved when they're close to the problem, you know, and I think that unless ac- academia really leans in to the canon and really studies the canon to figure out why the canon as, is as it is and how unfair and skewed the canon is. Until we, until we get there, um, these conversations, sure, will, will happen, but they will continue happening on the periphery. Um, they, will con- they will continue happening on the side. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have moments, you know, where we see it pushed in a little bit more by, by um, the mainstream moments like George Floyd, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's an it's an uphill battle. Um, it's an uphill battle to try and sort of diffuse the canon and expand it to the point w- and re- reorganize it to the mm-hmm. point where we can keep a Jane Austen in because, again, really great stories. But um, that cannot be the only story. It reminds me of Chimamanda Adichie's her mm-hmm. her her talk on on the power of of the story right the mm. that there can't be just one story there there yes. are other stories um and until we can collectively find a place for all the stories um it's going to continue being a a, a question that's being talked about um on the side okay so much more to ask you about there, but I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's easy to have conversations like this mm-hmm. and to see this as an extra mm-hmm. thing. And it's about the need to change the default, change how we view the default, but also realize that we have been faulty mm-hmm. in our default. Right. Um, and w- what we're really talking about is a word that you and I have talked about recently, which is systematic. Mm-hmm. It's realizing mm-hmm. that that default that um, teaching Jane Austen in Nigeria mm-hmm. um, has been wrong. Right. It's been skewed. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to be corrected in a very overt, mm-hmm. systematic way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. And that uh, is more than podcast conversations. And it's also um, about having black faculty. Yeah, I would say it's not only... Yeah, all that is true. But it's also... Okay, so Jane Austen being taught... Uh, as a requirement, you, you know, mm-hmm. or British literature as a requirement mm-hmm. in Nigeria when I was growing up. When do we ever see Achebe as a requirement mm-hmm. or Shoyinka or, mm-hmm. you know, any of the the names in... Chimimanda um, Adichie. Chim- or Adichie or, mm-hmm. you know, any of these really wonderful writers, Ayikwe Ama, um, when do we see them as a requirement mm-hmm. in, in the West, you yes. know? They're always an elective. You find when you find it, great. If you don't, if you're not looking for it, you you're not going going to to find it. Mm-hmm. It's very similar, I think, to um, to our names. I mean, this this problem is deep and, as you said, systematic. Our names are a reflection of this as well. I'm my name is Stephanie. Have you ever heard? Of a of a Western someone who's European or from the West who has an African name, no, mm. um, we take on the European names, right? But Europeans never take on an African name. I mean, it's a very simple, simplified uh, analogy, right? But it's yeah. it's it I think signifies the the depth of the problem. Yeah, it's an easy way to see. Mm-hmm. It's a surface way to see mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. problem, Absolutely. as you say, which is much mm-hmm. deeper. A, qu- a quick question on the Mills and Boone. All of you and your school friends reading Mills and Boone and trading them, which is adorable to think about. Absolutely. Were you envisioning Nigerian leads in your mind? Mm-hmm. I, I've talked to, uh, there's a, a writer named Sonia Kamal who uh, went to school in Pakistan, and she says... Um, yes, I read that. I read that that part, the blog that, that you, you wrote. You read the yeah. blog. Okay, yes, so she, she does, um, uh, you know, retelling of Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice. Um, 
but by the way, her her character of Darcy says exactly what you just said, which is kind of, uh, I think, ha- is being introduced to a lot of readers when they read Sonia Kamal's retelling. He says, he says, why doesn't everybody have to read Pakistani you know, mm-hmm. literature? Like, right. why isn't that on the canon like that? Mm-hmm. So it's just a big plug for mm-hmm. sort of being more mm-hmm. globalist in the canon, mm-hmm. um, which sounds easy, but that right. would that would really help. Um, but she says she says Jane Austen is Pakistani, you know, like for her, Jane Austen and <laughs> mm-hmm. all of those characters have mm-hmm. and always have been mm-hmm. Pakistani. Or you're reading Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice for the first time in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I I think the characters would be Nigerian if that mm-hmm. were me. You know? Not so for me. <laughs> no, they were no, white? absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, mm. you look at how they're described. Um, yeah. Their hair is de- is described. That would never translate mm. to a Nigerian woman's hair. Okay. It would never translate you, you, even the traditions, right, of mm. what happens, how people talk to to each other, um, mm. modes of communication, um, not even just in terms of language, mm. but also in terms of cultural mm. signals. Mm. Um, those don't translate to, to, in my mind, to a Nigerian society at all. Um, uh, when they describe her, her, her features as sort of pale, you know, her, the blush in, in, her, in her skin and, you know, the, the deep blue of the eyes, that can, I cannot read that and see myself or see anybody around me that remotely looks like that, you know. Um, uh, and so for me, I, I found it very interesting that, that she, um, she, she translated that to a Pakistani um, uh, environment. Um, it just doesn't feature, and that, that might be just me because I'm, I'm, I don't know, too black, but um, when we read it as as teenagers, we knew those that wasn't us. You know, like we we maybe didn't think of ourselves, but we certainly knew that they were white. You know, thinking about the the way the hair is described, um, her 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 petite frame. Um, you know, our frames are not the <laughs> same. You know, our skin doesn't blush like that. You know, so. Um, it was an escape, you know. It was certainly a way to see another world. Um, what I would say we enjoyed was the the idea of of romantic love, which we we saw in our parents. Um, it was described. It was different, you know. It was different, you know. We all wanted to be cherished, the way um, you know, or we 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 our hearts f- flutter when we see someone that we that we that we have a crush on you know that's that's universal um yes <clears throat> yeah but the the disc- the the characters the descriptions the culture is very different um and does not translate to nigeria i always push back against um this idea that there's a there's a a black Jane Austen, or that these are these are stories that, again, with the standard being British, and then we we have a translation to it. Um, we I kind of push push back against that and um, remind us all that we have our own stories um, that are romantic stories as well, um, but are going to be different um, in terms of 
how we are described, what beauty looks like. Um, a big part of Mills and Boone, if, you, if you've ever read them, a mm-hmm. big part of it is describing the beauty of the woman and the handsomeness of the man. Um, and that's not what our beauty looks like. Mm. And that's been a, I think that's in a sense at the heart of the problem when we think of systemic racism is what are the aesthetics? What is beauty? Um, and how, how do we see it? How do we describe it? And how do we um, then see it on our magazine covers, on our television um, newscasters? Um, you know, what does hair look, look like? Why do young black men have to, or women have to shave their locks when they're wrestling, right? Or when they're trying to, to, to graduate. That is because of the ways in which beauty has been described for too long um, in literature, in film, um, and Mills and Boone and Jane Austen have a lot to do with that. This is the Austin Connection, and we're talking with writer, musicologist, and University of Maryland Dean Stephanie Shamikon. We're talking about the canon of classic literature, how something that can bring transformation and joy, like classic literature, can also and has been used to disseminate power, nationalism, and empire, and can be deployed to erase culture and identity. But Stephanie Shanikan says she doesn't blame Jane Austen for being in the canon and superimposed on other cultures. Others in power did that. But how do we move forward? These are difficult questions, and it's such a pleasure to explore them with my friend, Dean Stephanie Shanikan. In this section, we talked about adaptations of Jane Austen. And I asked Stephanie Shanikan what she thought of diverse retellings and adaptations of Austen's stories. Now, back to that conversation. It's very complicated for me. Um, Jane Austen is just t- telling her stories, right? Like this is, yes. these are her stories. Um, I'm not going to hold her responsible for being in the canon. It's not her fault that she's in the canon. It is, it is the society's fault that she's in the canon without a counterpart that looks like me, right? Um, that is not Jane Austen's fault. That is our fault. That is the fault of the Western academic enterprise. Absolutely. Who were explicit, if you look at, I think it's Thomas Macaulay. Mm-hmm. Macaulay. So, so, so that's on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, um, you, you read this work and you wonder, um, you know, how, like, what about other people that were in the society? You know, um, you read Mills and Boone or you read Jane Austen or you read, you know, North and South, you know, any of any of oh, these, yes. these books. And you wonder, OK, um, like, where's everybody else? You know, and um, are they not worthy of being being characters in, in any of in any of these stories? Um, so it 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 reminds me why I I know this is not a political show, Janet, but <laughs> well, but it does remind. Actually, it is. <laughs> when <laughs> you were talking about Jane Austen, and I'm just going to say Jane Austen would approve. <laughs> she was definitely tackling politics. Right. So go right ahead. Stephanie. Right. Okay. So so it makes me wonder what um, what people 
what is meant by make America great again? You know, when you think of the history of America and of the United States and sure, great for some people, but what about the other characters in American history? When, when, was, when was the country great for them? So if you're going to use a, a tagline, make America great again, I'm wondering who, who do you mean? You know, like what, who are the other, where are the other people in, where are they considered in your vision, right? Whether you're looking backwards, you know, or forwards. Um, now to the adaptations. Um, I love the adaptations. I mean, I will watch any adaptation of Pride and Prejudice there is. Um, I love the Kira Knightley one. Do you? Um, so yes, you're, that's so my you, favorite. So this is this is actually maybe the most controversial thing we'll talk about today, Stephanie, which oh. is uh, 1995 or 2005 Pride oh. and Prejudice. <laughs> 2005 for me. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised. Really? Okay. So so you like the so who was the 19? 19- I I like both of them. I am going to be diplomatic. Colin, Colin Firth. There's Colin Firth with mm-hmm. the 1995. Yes, but there are people right. you know younger than us mm-hmm. who just adore like they I think they consider themselves you know like the the you know the original the purists of the of the pride and prejudice adaptation <laughs> um but you know like if that caught you when you were 12 years old and colin firth you know coming out of that lake <laughs> white tunic and the wet shirt right. if that caught you just at the right time like that's, there's no there's nothing else there's no it's, going back <laughs> yes no but I, I i like both but anyway mm-hmm. so okay mm-hmm. so you like the 2005 okay mm-hmm. and the music is and it could be stunning. because yes yeah, stunning stunning i i will listen to to that soundtrack um when i'm while i'm doing my my own research or writing. Yes. I love I love the yeah. soundtrack. Um because I watched that probably with my daughters later on. We we just enjoyed that. One of my daughters in particular and enjoys the British classics. Um mm-hmm. and she reading them and so she and I have um really enjoyed watching shows like Pride and Prejudice. Anything on masterpiece. Um, yes. On Masterpiece Theater, what's that yes. thing called? Yeah, yeah, Masterpiece um, Theater. Yes, mm-hmm. you're you're in excellent company here. We're all <laughs> in the Austin Connection, it. all keeping track yes. of that. I love it. Um, so is this the daughter by chance who went to Oxford? Yes. It okay. Is. It like, is. That was even. I'm even happier for her now <laughs> that she got to go to Oxford uh-huh. and be in that oh, yeah. environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My daughters are in England right That's now. Right. That's and right. And I, I couldn't. I mean, of course, they've got texts from me saying like, you know, Lime Park. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're in. You're not going to be. You're in Cheshire. They were just uh-huh. in Cheshire, and I was oh. like, I think that's where Lime Park is. And I was like, just saying, you know, like, <laughs> which is where um, I believe where part of that version is film anyway so but back to where you were saying um, mm-hmm. Stephanie on the empowerment or potential empowerment of mm-hmm. adaptations mm-hmm. Um, or maybe the downside of adaptations yes. you were just saying so so I guess we, we should talk about Bridgerton at this point yes I right? want to get to Bridgerton <laughs> yes um, what do you think? well I think um, again there I think it's more complicated than um, you know inserting Denzel Washington as Hamlet right i think yes. i think i think that that's great i think that's a good step i love to put the television on or go onto netflix and see um characters that are um representative of the spectrum of humanity i think that's wonderful um two problems though one is that it's still it's these are still white stories and when will we have black stories or brown stories you know that are shared at that at that level 
I found them. You know, I my undergrad after the second year of my undergrad, I just focused mainly on literature of the dias- the black diaspora, and so I found all those stories. Um, and then into my masters, that's what I focused on 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 the poetry of of Langston Hughes and Amir Baraka and so on. So I found those those stories myself. When can we see some of those stories on a on a mainstream level? So Bridgerton, beautiful story, brown people, black people, wonderful, but it's still a white story, you know. Sure, we're inserting. It's like diversity, you know. Bring the diversity into the screen, onto the campus. But are we paying attention to the stories of each of these people that is that are coming, that we're putting on the screen? You know, what is what is the story of those two um, main characters in Bridgerton second season? Like, what what happened in India? You know, like what's mm. what's that story? You know, that's that's not what we're focused on. We're we're focused on her sister's quest for to get into the the peerage right to find a find a an earl or whatever but um so that's one one question and the other question i would have about these adaptations and bridgerton in particular is that we always stop short of darker skinned characters characters and th- this is just me my lens i know not everybody wears the glasses that i wear but when i watch um, Bridgerton or um, whether it's season one or season two, if you look, if you, if you zoom in and take a look at the, and now we're, we're looking at skin tone and skin and, you know, shades of, of skin, we never get to dark skin. Like dark skinned women, and that's just me, I, I have a chip on, on my shoulder because I am a dark skinned woman. Um, we never get those those roles, you know. We never get to see ourselves in that role. Yes, we might have a black woman who is lighter skinned, you know. Um, get that. Even in Bridgerton um, season one, the one black w- woman who was lighter skinned um, was not a main. Like she didn't have a main love interest. She was the one who got pregnant, you know, and so on and so forth so i, d- I don't want to um to mess up those who for those who haven't watched it go watch it it's such a great it's a great series well but. it's okay <coughs> to have spoilers here uh because everybody here has already watched both seasons <laughs> several <laughs> times if you say so <laughs> i know that for a fact i'm just kidding uh yes there are spoilers in this conversation a little bit but we'll we'll warn people but actually stephanie i mean you you aren't the only one with a chip on your shoulder for sure i mean i i'm like deep into this world mm-hmm. and deep into these conversations so i don't know if you've seen this but i think i hope the studios the directors the powers that be are hearing these conversations. These conversations are bubbling up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of appreciation when those darker skinned characters become main character status. Mm-hmm. Um, and that some people would say that is happening with Bridgerton, with the um, Sharma sister, who's the lead, mm-hmm. and that actress as being a um, darker skinned brown uh, actress mm-hmm. that has previously happened, apparently. Mm-hmm. But I think you're you're what you're saying is is really interesting and and let me ask you because people 
scouting for stories and people helping and working in development for these stories are in this community. Mm -hmm. Some of them are listening. What would you what would you like to see in a third season of Bridgerton? You know, is a scholar and researcher on art and um, nationality and race and and somebody who engages with these joyful stories. Mm -hmm. um, what what would you advise if if the if if Netflix called you in to advise on the third season? <laughs> what would you say? What would you like to see as a mm -hmm. viewer and mm -hmm. also as an academic and researcher? Mm -hmm. Ooh, as a viewer, I would love to see, um, you know, let's let's go darker, you know, let's but but I'm selfish, you know, that I want my daughters to, to be able to watch a show that is so romantic and see themselves. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's what I would selfishly advise. I would love for my son to be able to see a woman that looks like his mother or his sister be wooed in yeah. in the ways that he has seen in every film that that he has watched for white women. So I think yeah. I think that that would be I think that that would be wonderful. As and an, uh, you are, you are an amazing looking family by the way too. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they're all like really beautiful. So Thank yeah. You. I think so too. But um, <laughs> um but um as a as an academic as a scholar I would love for the Bridgerton crew um, to actually continue on with Bridgerton, maybe finish it at some point, and then look to other stories. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I think I would love to to see um, a focus on stories from the Caribbean. You know, from Haiti, from um, again, you know, selfishly from Nigeria, from Trinidad, which is where where my where my mother's from. Um, there are some really wonderful authors that have written great stories. I know many of the stories are about struggle and liberation and so on. But within those stories, there are still relationships that that happen. And Bridgerton actually is based on the on a, on the on a contemporary writer, right? So. So yes. there are historical novels by contemporary writers. Yeah, Julia Quinn. That are that are available on the on the other side as well. You know, there are some some really um, wonderful African American writers that are taking on um, those those stories. There's one. Hold on, I'm, I want to look her up because I have okay. a stack of her. Okay, and I will just I will just say while you're looking that up, mm -hmm. um, there's Vanessa Riley. Um, who mm -hmm. did Island Queen, who's um, talked with us at the Austin Connection. And she says that um, uh, the, the, the actress who plays Lady Danbury in um, Bridgerton, mm -hmm. Adjua Andoa, mm -hmm. uh, with, uh, Jul I think, Julia Robinson, mm -hmm. also in Bridgerton or behind Bridgerton, uh, they they have uh, optioned Island Queen. And That's that awesome. and, and Vanessa, her, Vanessa Riley's, background is Trinidad and Tobago mm -hmm. um, and is writing the real life story in Island Queen of a, a real life West Indian heiress or, or actually West Indian entrepreneur, not an all in heiress. Uh -huh, but those yeah. are, the heiresses are another whole thing, uh -huh. uh, which mm -hmm. comes out in Sanditon. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of interesting that Jane Austen was kind of going there mm -hmm. with Sanditon. Right. right. Um, and the act, that's actually what uh, inspired Vanessa Riley. Mm -hmm. She was like, OK, if there's a hint of a West Indian mm -hmm. heiress in mm -hmm. 
a Jane Austen novel, I'm going to take that and run with oh, it. Okay. You know? So yeah. she she has been doing historic fiction. And they're Just, coming. They're coming. So the author I'm thinking of is Alyssa Cole, um, who has done a whole um, series of books on um, the characters are mostly um, either freed slaves and enslaved pe- people who were freed or people who were born free, but it's definitely from that era, so set in the 1700s, 1800s, um, and there's romance in there. It's it's uh, it's a series that I've I've really enjoyed, um, even though it's painful to think of the that that period. So Alyssa Cole is someone that's doing historical fiction, romance fiction. Awesome. Um, that I think that. Um, I would definitely recommend um, at the top of the list. Of, okay, that's of great authors. to know. Yeah. And uh, so anyone, um, if you are from Netflix or Amazon Studios and you're listening, please go buy Alyssa Cole, option <laughs> Alyssa Cole. Exactly. <laughs> we want those stories. We need those stories we on the those. screen. Yeah. I'm going to check those out. I'll also link to Alyssa Cole. You know, Vanessa, author Vanessa Riley said that a, a big problem, and, and you've heard this, I'm sure, we'd, I've heard this from many black artists and writers, that the problem is black joy. People want the struggle. They want that story. And you said, like, those those are painful stories. That is an incredibly painful setting. But, you know, those, I, I, I would just say that I think, you know, Jane, there's a lot of pain in Jane Austen, too. It's not the same, of course. Like, mm-hmm. there's it's not at all the same, but there is marginalization. There is struggle. And so I guess it's it's just something maybe to remember that like the joy, whatever our real life experiences mm-hmm. in history, in any mm-hmm. culture, in any place, um, there is love going on. There's romance. Yeah, I say there's that all joy. The time. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And you see the joy and the love in our music. You just don't see it as much in the literature, in the film. Um, but the music saves us because it's it's right there. I don't think there's any genre or group of people that have put love in music as much as black people have. That's the Austin Connection. Thanks for joining us here. You can find Stephanie Shanikan's amazing podcast cover story with Stephanie Shanikan at NPR affiliate KBIA. That's at KBIA.org. KBIA.org. And you can find more conversations about reading Jane Austen from wherever you are geographically, ideologically, at austinconnection.substack.com. See you there.